Foley Maris Studios presents A Carnival Jangle. Original short story written by Alice Dunbar-Nelson. An audio play adapted by Cat Hammonds. This story is directed by Chuck and Megan Mara. A mass of men and women and children as varied and assorted in their several individual peculiarities as ever a crowd that gathered in one locality since the days of Babel. There is a merry jangle of bells in the air, an all-pervading sense of jester's noises, and the flaunted vividness of royal colors. The streets swarm with humanity, humanity in all shapes, manners, forms, laughing, pushing, jostling, crowding. The streets are a crush of jesters and maskers, high johns and clowns, ballet girls and <laughs> Mephistos. Although there is only one true Mephisto, is there not? <laughs> Indeed, Astaroth. And I am on the way to the city that celebrates my name once a year. Celebrate you? <laughs> they are celebrating the Prince of Peace. Is there room in hell for self-regard such as yours? My self-regard is nothing compared to that of men. What other creature is brazen enough to mock its creator by engaging in every sin imaginable for weeks and months? Then, with a grin and a wink, expect, nay, demand forgiveness by rubbing a bit of dirt on their foreheads and begrudgingly giving up their favorite vices for a little bit of time. <laughs> you give the phrase smooth-tongued devil new meaning, Mephisto. <laughs> it is the last day of carnival in New Orleans, a brilliant Tuesday in February, when the very air gives forth an ozone intensely exhilarating, making one long to cut capers. The buildings are blazing mass of royal purple and a golden yellow, national flags bunting, and decorations that laugh in the glint of a Midas sun. Flow. The streets are crushing monkeys and Choctaws. A person can forget their very name as they dive into the sea of fantasy, high-stepping down the thoroughfare. Florence! Mama! Now I know you hear me calling you. I'm sorry, Mama. What are you doing that's so important? I'm just writing in my book. Lord, I wish your father had never bought that darn old thing. Come and help me finish this, Dobbs, so we can get to the church. Mama, please, if I can't go with Sissy or brother, I You are going with your father and me. I'm 16, Mama. And? And? And... Sissy and brother were able to go with their friends on the last day of carnival when they were 15. Oh. I go forth to claim my yearly prize, Astaroth. A plump soul to serve in the halls of hell. Your plump souls? Yes, that is a point of conversation, isn't it? Your taste in souls is... Shall we say... Wanting? Outrageous! I know for a fact that I am a demon of both taste and dog breeding. You are lazy, imp. And tiresome, truth be told. These souls that you coax to the everlasting doom? They're washing the blood of their victims off their hands by the time you arrive. 
also sick with drink and vice in general, you're running a distant second as they race to the gates of hell. They're no prizes, Mephisto. How dare you! Through my immense powers of persuasion... Oh, Mephisto! Even hell has its limit. Quiet! Any soul birthed by humanity is a prize. If one is starving, then flour and water baked into a flavorless cracker is a prize. But we are not starving, demon. Hell is full up with flatbread. Bring a three-tiered cake covered in roses and flourishes with sprinklings of gold flecks or bring nothing at all is what I say. I looked at my little Flo. She was right, of course. Brother and sissy. As present and stubborn as an 11-mile-wide river. And my little wisp Flo. As delicate as a dandelion blowing in the wind. Bright as a gold piece. Innocent as a newborn. As kind as a saint. Lord, her kindness is what worried me the most. But I couldn't tell if I was afraid for her safety or afraid of her growing up. Florence. Mama, Gertrude is going out with the whole gang of kids. And all three of her older brothers are going to be with us. Along with their wives and little ones. They said they would pick me up. When I saw Carnival, I saw an orgy of excess. A staging ground for sin and wantonness. Yet in that moment, I saw what Flo imagined. Wild and sudden flashes of music, of glittering pageants and comic ones, of befeathered and belled horses. We will all stay together and, and just look at the crowds, Mama. A dream of color and melody and fantasy gone wild and an effervescent bubble of beauty that shifts and changes and and passes kaleidoscope-like before the bewildered eye. Please, please. You stay with Gertrude and them. Oh, thank you, Mama. Thank you, thank you. My dandelion was caught in the whirlwind of carnival. I watched her race around her room, gathering her purse and shawl, her brown skin shining gold each time she passed by the open window. And then she was out the door waiting at the stoop for her Roman party. For what reason do you insert yourself in my business? Has anyone asked you for your mediocre counsel? Oh, you are right. Only one in hell seems concerned with your results outside of me. Only Satan himself has discussed your little piggies with me, and he finds them lacking. You lie, Astaroth. I don't, but you go ahead and pretend that I do. Go and get one of those gluttonous little souls you're so proud of. I can guarantee that you will find yourself Satan's footstool for all eternity, stripped of all your privileges and fineries. He would never. Of course he would. He's Satan, imp. He does not send out written warnings to telegraph his displeasure. Damn you. Then what is your suggestion? You care so much about my well-being. Bring his lordship a delicacy, demon. Before midnight. For tomorrow is Ash Wednesday. Bring him sweetness and light. The soul of a being brimming with hope and optimism. It sounds as though you have one in mind, Astaroth. I do. You will recognize her by her light. Show her what life is. 
and then burn the flower of her hope until it's a cinder. At the moment of her greatest disappointment, end her life. That is a delicious treat, Mephisto. That is what is required of you. If you want to remain, Mephisto. And this will please his lordship. Oh, yes. I do not trust you, foul creature. <laughs> Wise of you, but irrelevant. Damn it. It is done. We were a bevy of bright-eyed girls and boys of that certain age that hovers between childhood and maturity, moving down Canal Street. We were as excited as puppies, laughing and singing. I was trailing in the back, just so fascinated by everything I saw that I often had to run to catch up with my group. Quite suddenly, the crowd I had quietly joined jostled with another crowd moving in the opposite direction. For a minute, there was a deafening clamor of shouts and laughter, cracking of the whips, which all maskers carry. A jingle and clatter of carnival bells, and the masked and unmasked extricated themselves and moved from each other's path. In the midst of all that humanity, I saw a little flaming rose whose name I knew instantly was Flo. The brightness of her innocent light and love of life made me a bit queasy. But I pushed through my discomfort. I had my quarry. I was carried by the group like a rudderless boat. Indeed, it felt as though I was floating on a golden river of joy and possibility. A tall prince of darkness wearing an ornate smiling mask unique and interesting in my maskless crowd whispered in my ear. You'd better come with us, Flo. You're wasting time in that tame gang. Slip off. They'll never miss you. We'll get you a rig and show you what life is. I put an image in her head of flowing ribbons, bubbling champagne, wild laughter, pleasures beyond words. At first, I ignored old smiling Mephisto, turning around to catch up with my crowd when my mind was suddenly infused with excitement. Flowing ribbons, laughters, pleasures I could barely comprehend. And champagne. I saw myself with the golden bubbles at my lips. And I blushed at the thought of it. At that moment, a masked troubadour came running through the people, slicing through the crowd, slicing through my group, followed by a pack of fearsome pirates. Other revelers joined in the fun, running and skipping behind the pirates. This troubadour ran straight at me. I stiffened against what I was sure was going to be a fearsome crash. Instead, he grabbed me by the elbow and swung me around. Out of the sight of the chasing pirates, where he crouched down behind my long skirts. Everyone who saw him laughed, thinking him quite clever for having escaped his pursuers. When he stood, I saw his eyes filled with naked fear. 
he began to run again, his scarlet cloak and the purple feather and his brown hat streaming out behind him. I took note of the scared troubadour with a great deal of interest. His terror, a little puff of opium. I breathed in deeply. I saw my group receding from the banks on the other side of the ocean of humanity. This tall Mephisto standing next to me. I'll show you what this celebration is really about. I decided it was time to see what this celebration was really about. I let Mephisto take me by the hand. And so it happened when a half hour passed and the bright-eyed bevy missed Flo and couldn't find her, wisely giving up the search at last. I, supposedly the quietest and most bashful of the lot, was being initiated into the mysteries of what life is. Down Bourbon Street and on Toulouse and St. Peter Streets, there are quaint little old-world places where one might be disguised effectually for a tiny consideration. Thither, guided by the shapely Mephisto and guarded by the team of jockeys and ballet girls, flowing along the thoroughfare, I went into one of the lowest-ceilinged, dingiest, and most ancient-looking shops we stepped. A disguise for the demoiselle, announced Mephisto to the woman who met us. She was small and wizened and old, with yellow flabby jaws and a neck like the throat of an alligator and kinky white hair that stood from her head uncannily stiff. May we, you have such a lovely, long, slender frame. Perhaps the demoiselle wishes to appear. I caught the crone's eye, transmitting the image I had in my mind with a thought. Though it took a moment for her to receive my will, her own mind filled with dark passages and shadowy knowledge. Perhaps the demoiselle wishes to appear a boy on Petit Garçon. <laughs> Mademoiselle would make a fine troubadour. Mademoiselle does not wish such a costume. Why, she is a delicate and sweet thing. Males can come and go as they please, do anything they wish, see whatever they want. They see what is not for the eyes of a young lady such as this. Yes, uh, perhaps a princess or a pretty little yumbo. But I must say, Flo, it is a daredevil scheme. Upon second thought, do try it. No one will ever know it but us, and we'll die before we tell. What a little trailblazer you are. But... Besides, we must go. It's late, and you couldn't find your crowd. Ma foi. There is no other costume available, after all. But only one is left now. Why, look at this lovely scarlet cloak, and my goodness, that purple feather. We have seen this same troubadour. You shall wear the rig much better. He had none of your style. And that is why you might have seen a Mephisto and a slender troubadour with mandolin flung across his shoulder, followed by a bevy of jockeys and ballet girls, laughing and singing as they swept down Rampart Street. 
When the flash and glare and brilliancy of Canal Street have palled upon the tired eye, when it is yet too soon to go home to such a prosaic thing as dinner and one still wishes for novelty, then it is wise to go into the lower districts, Flo. The lower districts? Indeed. There's fantasy and fancy and grotesqueness run wild in the costuming and the behavior of the maskers. They are truly fascinating. Observe these creatures as specimens in a zoo, for truly they are no longer as human as you and I. Sir, I do not share this point of view. All are human, even if they themselves have forgotten the fact. I shall hold the vision for them. Ah, one so young, one so young. As we spoke, we passed by a drunken group of low women, their garish makeup smeared across their leathery faces. With a slight nudge, I encouraged the most brazen of the women to offer little Flo a sip of champagne, attempting to entice what she perceived to be a young man. We are just as handsome and sweet faces you can be. <laughs> Come have a sip of this champagne. <laughs> Celebrate with me and my friends. The temptress stepped to flow, <laughs> running her fingers along the edge of the fine red cloak. I saw in her disordered mind that she was planning to get our young troubadour besotted with champagne and then cut his throat for the finery he wore. I couldn't have been more shocked when I realized that Flo caught the self-same image from this murderous trumpet. It was the strangest thing. This woman, who was loose with drink and disappointment in life, why, I had the distinct impression she wanted to hurt me. I, I had a moment of irrational fear, wanting to knock her to the ground before I ran away, fearing as I feared a rabbit dog. That bright light of flows being dim just a bit, as though a delicate scarf had been thrown across a lamp. I promised myself that I would offer my thanks to this harlot when she found herself wandering the chasms of hell, most likely within a year. My fear rose in me like a tidal wave, trying to take over my mind and heart. And as quickly as it came, a feeling of such love for this poor woman rose even faster. In that moment, saw her as a girl, abandoned and mistreated. Her sadness became a badge of honor, protection against a too harsh world. It was that little girl whom I took by the hands. I was in a state of shock. Flo could not only catch the thoughts of this fallen woman's mind, she could transmit her thoughts as well. She was showing this creature herself as a little girl, loved and protected by an invisible hand. I had never in all my years human had this capability. The woman's eyes clouded with tears before she offered a smile nearly devoid of teeth, but overflowing with sheer, unadulterated joy. She wandered away, the champagne bottle slipping from her fingers. Flo turned and began to skip away before remembering she was supposed to be a young man. But the smile never left her lips. No, 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 I said to myself. 
I could hear Astaroth's disgusting laughter reverberating in my skull. There was no time to cultivate another soul. I had been betrayed. Such dances and whoops and leaps as these hideous pirates and devils do indulge in. Such wild curvetings and long walks in the open squares where whole groups would congregate. It was wonderfully amusing. I followed behind her, feeling doomed and foolish. I had been soft clay in Astaroth's hands. I found myself at a loss. I still guided her through mental suggestion, but everywhere we went, she saw infinite possibility and goodness. Then, too, there's a ball in every available hall, a delirious ball where one may dance all day for ten cents, dance and grow mad for joy, and never know who were your companions, and be yourself unknown. In the exhilaration of the day, we walked for miles and miles, moving from one hall to another. The celebrants dancing and skipping, their fatigue never felt. In Washington Square, away down where Royal Street empties its stream of children, great and small, into the broad channel of Elysian Fields Avenue, there was a perfect pirate powwow with a little imagination one might have willed away the vision of the surrounding houses and fancies oneself again on a distant shore where the privateers were holding a sacred riot. The square was filled with spectators, masked and unmasked. There were so many torches and lanterns it was easy to see all across the broad expanse of flagstones. It would have been amusing to watch these mimic marauders. They seemed so fierce and earnest, if I weren't so aware of time passing by. Why, this little devil with angel's wings, her light was even brighter for all that she saw. Worry and dread set my teeth on edge. I had never felt so free, so available to the goodness of life. As I danced and sang, I looked out at the edges of the square and saw a group of people who stood out for the plainness of dress. I froze in my tracks. Oh my. Little Flo's light dimmed to such a degree, I questioned whether it was a trick of my inner eye. Her entire being was suddenly hot and clammy. She was overtaken with guilt and shame. What had caused this? I probed through her upset thoughts and found a picture of a towering woman surrounded by lightning with a beam of light that went straight up, disappearing into the heavens. My goodness, Flo was thinking about... Mama, there she was with our little church congregation. They stood on the little patch of grass at the edge of the plaza, gustly singing. I couldn't hear them, but I could see the words of the hymn forming on their lips. It was almost too delicious. This little girl had disobeyed her mama. She was able to see all others through this light of goodness, but she couldn't turn that same light on herself. I leaned in. Look over there, Flo. Should we get closer to hear what they're singing? Uh, no. No, that's all right. 
I do believe it's time for me to find my group. Oh, Flo, no need to do that. We left them so long ago. I'm sure they're not doing a single interesting thing, not like us. Look to your left at the folks dancing. She looked and I knew that she was seeing them through her mother's eye. A group of people dancing brazenly, their bodies too close together. And look to your right at the gangs toasting good health. She saw them in their excess, drunks and roustabouts, lacking in all dignity and decorum. I felt quite foolish. I had made a promise to my mother that I disregarded almost as quickly as the words left my lips. I felt as though a blistering spotlight was upon me. It felt as though everyone was pointing at me. It seemed a group of pirates showed particular interest. It felt as though they could see the lie like an ink stain above my head. Before I turned away in embarrassment, one pirate king touched another on the elbow and began whispering with each other. Hey, see that Mephisto and Troubadour over there? Yes. Who are they? I don't know the devil, but I know that other form anywhere. It's Leon, see? I know those brown hands like, like a woman's and that restless head. <laughs> but there may be a mistake. No. I know that one anywhere. I feel it is he. Oh, I'll pay him now. Ah, sweetheart, you've waited long, oh, but you shall feast now. Slowly, brother. Move slowly, so as not to catch their attention. Follow the red cloak. I could feel my strength and cunning return as I watched little Flo shrink in upon herself. Goodness, Troubadour, why do you look so stricken? My mother is among the singers across the square, as I pointed. I could see my hand shake. Oh my, oh my, yes. It would be unfortunate if she saw you dressed as a young man, and in the midst of this rabble? You would surely be unrecognizable to her. You have so completely disguised the sweet young girl she holds dear. Why, how many drinks have you sipped? And how many people have you danced with? She would surely mistake your exuberance for perfidy. I knew this feeling would not last forever, so I worked in her mind with expediency. I dropped my head in shame. How could I have so effortlessly endangered my mother's trust in me? I looked around and saw only wantonness and damnation. The cloak on my shoulders felt like a weight too heavy to bear. The hat upon my head as an embarrassment of extravagance. In that moment, as if I had called her name, Mama looked in my direction. I reached out to Flo's mama, causing her to lock eyes with Flo. Her confusion was almost comical as she tried to reconcile the face she knew with the unfamiliar clothing. Flo? Dear mama began moving towards us. As mama approached, I flung the cape I wore and the hat at the devil, irrational in the desire to hide the costume. 
I tried to back away to lose myself in the crowd, but my devil companion blocked my exit. Flo! The moment was delicious. So sweet was the sense of shame, I found myself dizzy and wonderfully discombobulated. Flo had completely forgotten her own goodness, so sure that her mother's opinion of her was beyond repair. I could hear the pirates approaching from our rear, thinking themselves quite stealthy and unobserved. What they actually do for my troubadour in front of her mother? I was breathless with anticipation as I stepped to the side. As Mama approached, I couldn't even look her in the eyes. When she made her way through the crowd, she took me by the shoulders and then forced my chin up to look at her. I watched, my mouth open, hoping the pirates could delay their attack just a moment longer so their flow could drop a little more deeply into personal disappointment. I threw the cloak over my shoulder so my hands would be free to catch Flo's falling body. Hi, Mom. Where's Gertrude? We... We were separated. Lord. Girl, you... Well, well, at least you found me. I was surprised for a second time that fateful evening. When they looked in each other's eyes, it was if her mother poured some sort of elixir into her. I'd never seen anything like it. The light that was almost snuffed out was being refilled. The air was still thick with disappointment, but it had lost its sting. More disappointingly, Flo remembered who she was. I opened my mouth to roar in anger. In the mass dance, it is easy to give a death blow between the shoulders. Two crowds meet and laugh and shout and mingle almost inextricably. And if a shriek of pain should arise, it is not noticed in the din. And when they part, if one should stagger and fall bleeding to the ground, can anyone tell who has given the blow? There's nothing but an unknown stiletto on the ground. The crowd is dispersed. The masks tell no tales anyway. There is murder. But by whom? For what? Quien sabe? And that is how it happened on Carnival Night. In the last mad moments of Rex's reign, the long sweet march music of many bands, the flash of rockets and Bengal lights, a pile of clothes discarded in the plaza, including a Mephisto mask and a troubadour's cloak. And in hell, for the Lord of Darkness, a new and very unhappy Footstool. This has been A Carnival Jangle. Our story features Deja Monique Cruz as Flo, Michael Higginbottom as Mephisto, Andres Ray Solorzano as Astaroth, and Natalie Walken as Mama. Cat Hammonds played the crone, Tonya Kennedy was the low woman, and Amir Levy and Todd Gadeshek were the pirates. Our story was produced by Foley Mara Studios. If you enjoyed our production, please check out our other podcast, 
Quiet Please, where we recreate the 1940s radio drama of the same name. To support our channel, please go to buymeacoffee.com slash fmstudios.